Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning to everybody. I want to greet the, uh, the Mahanaim of, of Word of Life Church. You know, Word of Life is two camps, in person, online, local, worldwide. And uh, so to the onliners, I, I, know, I know we're a lifeline for many of you. So here's a, hold on. You're going to be all right. All right, this morning, Pentecost Sunday, I want to preach on the experience of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. The Jewish people had three pilgrim festivals. Three times a year when they would travel up to the holy city of Jerusalem. You had Sukkot in the fall. That's, that's uh, Feast of Tabernacles. That would happen in the fall. And then in the spring, you would have Pesach, Passover. That was another pilgrim festival. And then you would have 50 days after Pesach, Passover, you would have Sukkot, Pentecost. It was a celebration of the giving of the law unto Moses by God upon Mount Sinai. That's what Pentecost was commemorating. Now, if you know the story pretty well, you remember that Jesus was crucified during Passover. So the Pentecost of Acts chapter 2 that we heard read to us today by, was that Darth Vader? I think that was Darth Vader. I'm so glad Darth Vader has found the Lord. Amen. This account in Acts chapter 2 occurs seven weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, after the ascension of Jesus, 120 more or less, about 120 disciples, almost most of them from Galilee, believers in Jesus that knew of his death, burial, and resurrection, including the 11 apostles and Mary, the mother of Jesus, gathered daily in the upper room. This was the place where the Last Supper had been held. It was a place that was available to them to meet. It's large. It can hold 120 people. And for 10 days they were gathering there and they were spending their time in prayer waiting for the promise that Jesus said would come upon them. And then the day of Pentecost arrived. Pentecost commemorates the day when God, as a consuming fire, came down from heaven upon Mount Sinai and gave 
the law to Moses and unto the people of Israel. So that day, Sukkot had arrived and they're in the upper room and they're praying and suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the room and then flickers of flame began to appear above the heads of those who were seated in that room. Imagine looking around and seeing the person next to you and there's got a little blue flame coming off the top of their head. And then you realize everyone does. I bet I do too. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Languages they had never learned. It was just coming out of them. Languages that they didn't know. This created a stir in Jerusalem. People gathered. They said, what in the world? Because, you know, it's a pilgrim festival. So there's people from all over the Mediterranean world that are there speaking their myriad of languages. And they hear this den of noise and people are praising God. They go, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, that's native Parthian language. I know these people are Galileans. How, how does that guy there know Parthian? And somebody says, yeah, but someone over here, they're speaking the, the, the dialects of Cappadocia. And they're amazed at it. And they're trying to figure out what is, what is going on. And they were all speaking of the mighty deeds of God, the mighty deeds of God. Of course, there's always going to be, you know, cynics. And they, you know, they were daft and they don't get it. And they said, oh, they're just drunk. And that's when Peter spoke up. Peter. Now, remember Simon Peter, just seven weeks earlier, had denied he even knew Jesus. But now he's going to stand up and he's going to preach the gospel. You can always come back. There's a second chance. There's a third chance. Just keep coming back. And Peter stands up and he says, now just hold on a minute. These are not drunk as you suppose. I mean, but it's nine o'clock in the morning. Come on. But this is what was foretold by the prophet Joel. That's what this is. This was foretold a long time ago by Joel who said, it shall come about in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. That's what this is. And then Peter just started preaching Jesus. And he tells the Jesus story. And he tells them who Jesus is and what he did and how he came to the city and how he was betrayed and crucified but raised again. And he tells them that this Christ whom you have crucified, this Jesus whom you have crucified, the Lord has made both, both Lord and Christ. And they said, well, what do we do then? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, 
for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. So the prophet Joel had foretold of a day when God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, upon everyone. And that day arrived with Pentecost. And to these that have heard the first sermon on the first day of the church, and they said, what do we do? Peter said, well, first of all, rethink everything. Change your mind about everything. That's what repent means. In the light of this revelation that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Christ, rethink everything. Be baptized, become a part of this, attach yourself to Christ and his people, and you will receive the gift. It's a free gift. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children, for all and everyone. And the Holy Spirit is the experience of God. The Holy Spirit is the experience of God. Thinking about God is theology. Thinking about God. Thinking about God and then trying to express what you think, that's theology. And theology matters. Oh, yes, it does. Perry said on the front row, yes, it does. It does. Theology matters. It's important. We... Uh, it's important that we think as accurately as possible about the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just like it is important that we think as accurately as possible about physics, chemistry, mathematics. I'm an anachronism. I still believe that theology is the queen of the sciences. Amen and amen. So how we think about God is important. It does matter. But relatively few people are called to do the actual hard work of creating and writing theology, by which I mean very few people are actually called to become professional theologians. But the message of Pentecost is that everyone can experience God. Not everyone has to be a theologian. Theology matters, but not everybody has to be a theologian. But everyone, you, your children, all and everyone can experience God because the Holy Spirit is the experience of God poured out upon all flesh. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The Son proceeds from the Father. The Spirit Father God, and then proceeding from Father God, the Son, the Logos, God's understanding of God's self, God's word, God's logic. The Son, fully God, distinct person. And then between the Father and the Son, an energy of mutual love that is also a third person, the Holy Spirit in this 
perichoresis, this eternal dance of love. Now, the Son and the Spirit are eternal as the Father. They do not begin to be. There's, there's no beginning to be for the Son and the Spirit. They are eternal with the Father. And that, my friends, is just a little dab of theology. And I didn't come to talk about theology. I want to talk about the experience of God. Long before I knew any real theology, I mean, I knew the basic contours of the God, the very basic contours of the gospel. Jesus is the son of God, died for our sins, was raised on the third day. That's all I knew. Long before I knew any real theology, I entered into the experience of God. It happened November 9th, 1974. I was 15. I was a sophomore at Savannah High School. I was a long-haired Led Zeppelin freak. I went to a Christian event put on by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Missouri Western. And I committed my life to Jesus Christ. So far, so good. The surprising part, though, was when I got home at midnight, the Jesus whom I had committed my life to a few hours earlier was waiting for me in my bedroom in the form of pure light. The light of the world was in the bedroom at 104 South Hickory in Savannah, Missouri. Light. And I fell to my knees and I worshiped and I knew it was Jesus. I went to bed that night wondering, I wonder if it'll still be there in the morning. I woke up, the first thought I thought was, it's still there. <laughs> and it's still there. That was my initial experience in God. Then I began to, well, the, the experience of God continued in my life, but in different ways, especially during my midnight prayer walks in the Savannah Park. Midnight's a good time to experience God, at least for me. Not for Perry, she'd be asleep, but... Although you can experience God in your sleep too, I'll talk about that. I lived across the street from the park there in Savannah. And I like to go out about midnight and seek God. Because God said, seek me and you'll find me. Play hide and seek in the Savannah Park, but God let me find him. I would pray, I'd walk, sometimes I'd sit under a tree. I could show you what tree, if it's still there. I don't know, I haven't checked lately. Sure it is. Amen. I remember one time, you know, I think there was, a, there was a curfew. I know there was a curfew. You weren't supposed to be in the park after 10 o'clock. I was never much at keeping the rules. And uh, so I just, you know, I liked it though there was a curfew because it meant nobody else was there and I had the place to myself. So I'd go out there and I'd be in the park. I remember one time a policeman did come by and he said, shine, you know, they have those little lights on their, on their car. Hey there, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I felt like totally I had license, you know. To... So that was, that's where I would pray and I, I would ask God questions and I didn't always get the answers. Like some of them I'm getting now. Takes a while. It's, I didn't hear the Lord say this, but it's as if the Lord said, yeah, I can explain, but you wouldn't understand. 
You're going to have to wait. But I, w- I would present questions to God and I would listen. And I would, I would ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was, I did a lot of that in that park. Well, all of this was the Holy Spirit. And it's part of the normal Christian life. Don't let, don't let anybody tell you, that sounds weird to me. No, it's not. This is normal. God is, you are, you're the creation of God, you're loved by God, experience it. Don't let anybody tell you it's weird. No, this is, this is the Holy Spirit and it's the normal Christian life and this is good news because most people are far more interested in experiencing God than thinking about God. Now, I like to think about God. I mean, there's a reason why I've written 11 books of my thoughts about God. <laughs> so I like that. But I would rather experience God than think about God. And I know everyone here, if you're given to us, we can think about God or you can experience God. Uh, I'm going to get in the experience line. Now, you, do, you can do both and you should do both. But the experience of God is available to everyone. The Holy Spirit is the experience of God. The most constant experience of God in my life has been the abiding presence of Jesus. I'm preaching no cliches today. If it sounds like a cliche, that's on you. I'm telling, I'm bearing witness. I'm bearing witness to my own experience in God. The most constant experience of God in my life has been the abiding presence of Jesus, by which I mean I'm always conscious and aware of the presence of Jesus. Quite literally. Quite literally, I'm just, I'm just I'm aware. I'm just. It's like you know when someone else is with you, you you're, you know they're there. You may be engaged in conversation, you may not, but you know they're there. I'm I'm aware of the presence of Jesus. Now, in my 30s, I began to be assailed by doubts, and I began to be assailed by doubts mainly because my theology was mostly shabby. It was impoverished and and my my theology couldn't quite stand up to the assaults that would be launched upon it by certain corners within modernity. And I began, you know, so then you're like, well, maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe I'm making all this up. You know, those kinds of doubts. And I didn't run away from those doubts. I thought, well, I'll just lean into them. Okay, if if that thought of doubt is coming to me, does God exist? I don't, maybe God doesn't exist. Well, I'll lean into it. Okay, God doesn't exist. I'm gonna, I'm, that's gonna be my new faith. <laughs> there is no God. And it just wouldn't work for me because, I, well, no, there is. God's right here. I mean, I, I, I know that I'm lying to myself when I say that. And somebody says, oh, so you have your invisible friend. Immortal, invisible, the only wise God, and he doesn't call me servant, he calls me friend. Amen. I'm not intimidated by those sorts of attacks. And so uh, that's the, probably the most common <clears throat> experience I, of God I have is just this constant awareness of, of the presence of Jesus with me. This is part of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in the upper room during, during his final discourse before his suffering. When he said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And he says that in the context of talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's been my, I've not been left as an orphan. Jesus comes to me. 
and I'm aware of his presence. Now, other than the abiding presence of Jesus, my most common divine experience has been words and dreams. Words, words and dreams. Words by which I mean a word of wisdom in a critical moment throughout, sprinkled throughout my life have come. When I needed a word, it came to me. A word from elsewhere, I like that expression. That it was, I didn't think myself there. It, it came from, it came from the heavens. It came from the Lord. A word that in a critical moment showed me the right way to go, what to do, how to respond, how to correct course. That has been very important in my life. And the other is dreams that usually clarify some things, that usually help me understand some things better. Now, nearly all of these divine experiences have occurred either while I'm in, a, in prayer or while I'm asleep. I mean, all the dreams have been while I've been asleep. Uh, but most of the words, these words, they come while in prayer. I could add a third. I could add a third. I wasn't going to do it. I didn't put it in the notes. A third would be while on pilgrimage, these long walks. That's also been a place where I've experienced God a lot. And what they all have in common, prayer, slumber, pilgrimage, is that um, there's a quietness. It's, it's a state of non-distraction. I mean, if you're praying right, if, you, if, you're, if you're trying to, if you're really praying and you get past the distraction or when you're asleep, or that is one of the characteristics of a long pilgrimage is non-distraction because the white noise of our technological age tends to drown out the experience of God. But if you can subdue that white noise of technology, sometimes it happens as we sleep. It can happen as we pray or other ways. Oh, then, then, the experience of God is there. And the Holy Spirit is the experience of God. So are, are you interested in, in what I'm trying to describe to you this morning? You say, I, I would like more of that, please. Yes. May I have more, sir, please? May I have more? Well, then ask for it. Ask for it. Say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, look, if any of your kids ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? <laughs> Here you go, kid. <laughs> if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? <laughs> this will be funny. He says, no, of course not. If you being as messed up as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Now, life is hard. Life is hard. It is, it's just filled with challenges and difficulties and everything's going fine and then it's not. Happiness can come suddenly and leave just as fast. 
And when things go wrong, what we mostly ask for is for God to make them right, which is fine. I would, I do too. And I don't stop doing that. But on the other hand, God doesn't always intervene like that. Make it stop God and it doesn't stop. Fix it God and it doesn't get fixed. Stop it God and it doesn't stop. But what you can ask for is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's always given. And the Holy Spirit gives you the holy attitude and intent to go through that. The Holy Spirit brings the holy attitude to us. And attitude's almost everything. When in a difficult time we ask for the Holy Spirit, the, the, the holy attitude of God for that comes in and the holy intent. Sometimes we're in a difficult situation and we just don't know what to do, right? Then ask for the Holy Spirit who is the holy intent of God and trust that whatever decision you make is gonna be right. You're gonna go the right direction and it's gonna work out. You're going to make it through it. Don't have a fixed expectation, but do expect the experience of God. Don't have a fixed expectation. So as well, if I get filled with the Holy Spirit, I'll speak in tongues. You might, but you might not. That's not the point. Now, I, I appreciate, I mean, I, I'm, you know, my roots are charismatic. And I really appreciate it, I do. I always describe the charismatic movement was good until it wasn't. And when it wasn't good, I had to pack my bags, but it was good until it wasn't. But I appreciate the contribution that Pentecostal and charismatic movements have made very important contributions to alert us to the experience of God and the Holy Spirit. One of the problems they have though, is they tend to want to fixate on one particular moment. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Oh yes, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at Arrowhead Stadium at that big thing they had there in 1975. Well, great, 1975, it's 2022. Well, you know, you say, do we have to be filled again and again? Yes. You say, why? Because we leak. <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit. No, not so filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. No, not so filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we, we just keep asking and keep placing ourselves in a position to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And give God some priority time. Not just leftover time, not just fleeting moments, not just ragged time or, or fragmented time. Give God some prime time. Some prime time. You know we have an upper room here. Did you know that? We built it in 2003. I think we started in January, February. It was completed in November. Dedicated, I know that, in November of 2003. Um, this, was, this is the one construction project in the history of World of Life Church that I was very involved in. I've always sort of just not been attracted to that. I, I'm not a, I don't think like that. The exception being the upper room. Maybe that's why that room's different than everywhere else around here. And that came from my own heart and I met with the architect and I told him, I said, it's going to be the upper room. He said, well, it's not going to be upper. I said, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. It's a connection to the upper room. 
and I want it in Jerusalem stone. He said, well, why not just Missouri limestone? I want Jerusalem stone. It's the upper room. How big? I want it to seat 120. So you see all this. And so, and it's the easiest building project by far that we've ever had. Two things have been easy in my ministry. Only two, two. 2,000 have been hard. Two things have been easy. Building that prayer room and prayer school, which I never intended to be a thing, but it just happened. He's like, whoa, look at that prayer, prayer school. What? It just happened. Both are prayer things. That's interesting. I find that interesting. And so we have a prayer room. A little later, we added the uh, 14 stations of the cross. Not the legendary medieval ones, but the biblical ones that follow the passion of Christ from the Garden of Gethsemane to the Garden Tomb. We added that a few years ago, 10 years ago. I don't know, 12 years ago. Who knows? Time flies. Just this week, we installed those two new icons, the Christ Pantocrator icon and the Holy Trinity icon. Those were installed this week. You know, the upper room is, you know, if you're local, if you're here, if you're, you know, it's open from, is it, is it eight to four? Is that right? Monday through Friday. Same, same hours as the porch. It's open. You can go in there and have some prime time. It's a thin place. We've already got it warmed up for you. Just walk in there and you go, oh, I'm closer to God than I was before I walked in this room. I'm not making a joke. It's true. There are thin places where the barrier between heaven and earth is very porous, very thin. The upper room is a thin place. You can encounter God there. So you, it's open. You can go there. It's open Sunday mornings too. Now, we're going to do something this week. We're going to have Pentecost in the upper room for four nights, starting tonight, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, 6.30. It'd be about an hour long. We'll have praise and worship. We'll have prayers. We'll have scripture. We'll have worship. We'll have all of that. We'll have child care. We're trying to get you some prime time. We'll take care of your kids for you. So there you go. And what are the services going to be like? They're going to be liturgical and spontaneous. They're going to be ancient and future. They're going to be great tradition and contemporary inbreaking of the spirit. Because that's, that's what we're called to be right now at Word of Life is to model that, that, that pressing forward, but also reaching back, knowing that we have roots in the ancient faith. That's why that room, the upper room feels different. Everything else in this campus is very contemporary. You go in there and you go, it doesn't feel contemporary. It feels old. That was intentional. That was deliberate to have a connection with a more ancient faith. So yes, there's liturgy, but there's also spontaneous prayer. There'll be ancient aspects, but modern aspects. Some old icons, but fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit. And so I invite you to come. The Holy Spirit is the experience of God. Let's dedicate some prime time to the experience of God. Acts 2 verse 40. 
And Peter testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. We're going to baptize some people today. Not 3,000, but but about 10, 10 or 11, something like that. And so we're going to baptize people today. See, this is, this is what happens. What shall we do? He says, we'll start thinking, rethink everything, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is how you're going to save yourself from this corrupt age, this corrupt generation. The world has gotten off. It's, it's, it's something's gone wrong and you need to belong to a different age. And the baptistry, there's a baptistry up there. We're going to go up there in a minute. Those that are going to be baptized. The baptistry is a time machine. Yes. It hurls us into the age to come here and now. That's why the apostle Paul says that we are those upon whom the end of the age has already arrived. That we begin to live in certain aspects of the reality of kingdom come here and now. That's baptism and it's beautiful. And so would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? And those who are about to be baptized, uh, would you come and you know, parents bring your kids if they're kids that are being baptized, but would you come and stand right down here in front of where, where Pastor Derek is? And give them a really good ovation as they come. Let them know how excited we are about this because it's a big deal. Yeah. Hope, I knew you would dress for the occasion. I just knew it. Man, you ought to see her. Spectacular. All right, there's some more. Get, get, come on, give everybody. All right. How are you doing down there? Okay. <laughs> Two of my granddaughters are being baptized, so you know you have to forgive me if I kind of make a deal out of it. All right, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to confess this ancient creed. This is what people would confess before they were baptized 2,000 years ago. I, I can't even, 2,000 years ago. So this is not something new. We didn't make this up. We didn't, I didn't write this in my study last night. This is what the church, what people like you in moments like this have been saying from the very beginning. So would you join with me in confessing that church, everybody, but we're especially thinking about these, but everybody uh, join with me in confessing our creed. I believe in God, the father almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. The church has two primary sacraments. 
baptism and communion. Today, we're doubling up. We're going to have baptism and also communion. And so in preparation for receiving communion, let's confess our sins and receive the Lord's forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.